0: You're listening to the Degrees of Freedom podcast. Conversations about higher education in the 21st century between students and teachers. Produced at the University of Harmington. Hello and welcome back to the Degrees of Freedom podcast. Uh, My name is Colum. I am here alone today, actually, without my co-host Tassos Rampolis. Uh, He is on vacation this week, so... um, It's going to be just me singularly hosted, but luckily I'm here with uh, two guests, Rosemarijn van der Pluch and Tina Kretschmer from the uh, Pedagogical and Educational Sciences Department here at the Faculty of uh, Behavioral Sciences, Behavior and Social Sciences. Um, Yeah, today is part two of an episode that we started about three weeks ago in which we interviewed uh, Mark and Michelle. If you haven't listened to that podcast, please uh, take a listen to it. But um, yeah, as mentioned, they're from the Department of Pedagogical Sciences, and they were also nominated for the best practice. In fact, they were uh, nominated across the whole faculty of behavioral sciences. So I'm really happy to be joined by them. Um, Yeah, Rosemarine and Tina, uh, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks. Thanks. Hi.
0: yeah, great. So um, how about, I would, I would just really like to, as I did last in, in the last episode, um, just kind of jump into it and maybe you guys can tell me a bit about um, yeah, the, the experience of winning best practice and also um, the courses for which you won it, which was youth and social development. And maybe you can kind of tell me about how this came about.
2: So, well, uh, Tina and I um, um, taught the course Youth and Social Development. It's a course for second-year bachelor students and also um, some people who were uh, um, in, in another study study and, uh, sorry, have done the minor. Um, yes, the name uh, says it's about youth and their uh, social development.
1: Maybe you can some,
2: say something <laughs> about it.
1: The content of the course, yeah. yeah. So, social development basically describes how young people, or yeah, youth and social development describes how young people develop in the social context um, and the social context in 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 childhood and adolescence that involves um, context like the family, the sibling relationship, a peer relationship, but also in uh, in adolescence and early adulthood, and for instance, romantic. Uh, relationships and dating so these are basically the topics that we cover in the course um, and what we do there in the course is we we talk about the theories so the theories of, of social development and of socialization uh, applied to these different social contexts and um, because we both also very active researchers uh, we find it particularly important that the students read latest literature so we I wouldn't say confront them, no, but we surprise them uh, with empiric, with a lot of empirical research uh, in that course as well. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes we ask our friends to give guest lectures. Yeah, because we are not uh,
2: experts in all uh, in all topics. But uh, yeah, that's basically yeah uh, what
1: we do. Yeah,
2: and. Um yeah last year we started uh giving this course together and well we, we were really happy that we we could do it together. As Tina said, we both uh, do a lot of research related to these uh, topics. And um yeah of course uh, within the corona pandemic we had to find a way to um yeah to to, to, to deliver this course yeah, out to way. To, to, yeah. to teach the course actually. And, um, yeah, we thought that it was nice to make uh, video recordings. Actually, we had to. eh? We couldn't give our lectures uh, in the lecture hall. Um, And then decided that we didn't just want to distribute those videos to the students, but also really want to um, talk with them about the theories, about the research. Um, Yeah.
0: All right. So you guys touched a bit about there on the pandemic and how you had to adjust the course. Were you teaching the course? Was one of you guys teaching the course prior to the pandemic as well?
2: Not, not in this form.
0: So it was quite a new challenge of also having to teach the course, but then also having to adjust it to a uh, pandemic friendly format. Like you mentioned, you couldn't, you could had to do these video recordings. Um, in the actual nominee nomination uh, form, and also on the education festival, they no- they mentioned that you talked uh, that you engaged with a flipped classroom format. Um, could you maybe describe a bit more what this means?
2: Uh, yes, we uh, we uh, we had these video lectures, and we asked students to to watch these videos just before um, the yeah our group discussion uh, started. And then at the actual lecture time, we had a group discussion uh, where Tina and I both are, uh, present. And um, yeah, we had some discussion questions in our lectures, but also yeah, we wanted that students
1: share their um, questions, maybe their experiences. Yeah, so I guess flipped classroom—that's uh, it, it's nothing that we invented, right? So that's basically the idea that students learn the material before the actual meeting. Or, or familiarize themselves with the material before the actual meeting, for instance, through reading and, or like guided reading or through, um, watching recordings of the lecture so that then the actual meeting time can be used to consolidate the knowledge.
0: mm mm-hmm. So yeah, it sounds like something also I've <laughs> experienced also in even my, my program then. Um, Often case, I think the reality is, I can definitely testify this as a student, is that you don't do the readings or you don't do the preparation work beforehand. And uh, I think this is quite often the case where a lecturer will say, okay, please read these textbook chapters before the lecture. And uh, most students do not.
1: Yeah, because students always like in in the, in the more traditional format, it's because students um, probably also rightly assume that what they read will be covered in the lecture. So it seems double work right so or at least my study was like that and I in the beginning I used to teach like that so that I would ask students to read the texts that then I would talk about in the lecture and that's not what we do in the in the course we don't go through these texts again right so we we build discussions based on the text but that go beyond the text so maybe that where people need to connect the different findings from different studies or um, and also, not it's not just reading what the students do beforehand. They watch our videos with our explanations of the theory. So when when they come to the the session or to the meeting, our assumption is that they know the theory. So we do not cover the theory again.
0: Mm, so there's a basically there's no double covering of anything. No. So, so then the lectures themselves, you you build on the theory. Uh, you talk about contemporary research, what's being done currently in the field. Correct? Yeah. Do
1: you mean in the meetings then? Or do uh, you, because the, the lectures are days. the videos, right? The, and then the we have the meetings. Yes.
0: In the meetings, Yeah. Rather.
1: So we, we then, indeed, we then talk about contemporary research or we invite guest lecturers. So we, mostly other early career researchers who then talk, who do research uh, that is relevant on that particular topic that we cover in that week and who then present their ongoing research, right? So as students need to know the theory behind it to understand what they are, to understand the content that they are given in the meetings. Mm.
0: And how is it received, this format, by the actual students themselves? And was it received quite positively or how is, uh, you know, um, I I can understand, I can imagine for some of, you know, for some students it would seem, okay, I, I really have to do quite a lot before I come to these meetings, you know, and... And perhaps, as you mentioned correctly, they are meetings, but, um, I think most are these, my, my perspective is that because the traditional format is often that of, okay, these are lectures, um, that it would be often the case that people would think, okay, well, I can do just so sit much the listen. lectures. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, how is it received by your students?
2: Well, apparently positive because we were nominated as a best
1: practice, but... It was a student nomination in our department.
0: Of course, of course. But but perhaps you could maybe talk about some of the comments that you uh, received.
1: Well, I think
2: at first students had to get a bit used to it. So, well, they were quite silent when we were asking questions. They were like, "Hmm, who's going to talk? But later on, they they really start asking questions
1: themselves and really engaged in the in the discussion. Um, and it's also, I guess, the team teaching that makes this very that that helped this a lot, right? Because when students yeah. are very quiet, then Rosmarin and I start chatting. So basically, then I ask her how it was for her. In school or she asks me how well i get on with my sister or things like that and then we just talk about so we kind of apply the theories to our own lives and that gets students talking yeah. right so it's also a very it's a very good atmosphere so i obviously i mean some of the comments i think some founded quite a lot of work but yeah
2: yeah but they also really enjoyed that the combination of theory yeah. uh recent research there. are well, most of our students are not really used to dive into research methods or things like that. And we, we also had discussions about what is a good way to, to answer a certain research question yeah. and uh, giving our own examples mm-hmm. and how how they, they also really enjoyed that they could re- relate it to their personal lives. I mean, mm. we're talk- we were talking about topics and maybe that's also why students like this course about topics that are really closely related to their own development, yeah. of course. Yeah, we're basically talking about them. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it also seems quite a uh, uh, just maybe a thought that I might have right now, um, hovering on what you said there is that something that might have been a big strength of the course was the fact that you guys did it together. The uh, I can imagine, you know, just from what I've seen in some lectures, uh, to get this engagement going between the student and the instructors is sometimes difficult if it's just the instructor up there trying to will the students. But perhaps, as you mentioned, that you could, uh, if the students weren't talking, that you could ask Rosaline about how it was for her relating the research and perhaps... Sharing a conversation between you two allowed everyone to kind of ease themselves into the discussion. would this be a correct assumption?
2: Yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think it is also why we um, yeah still go on with being uh with teaching together uh, yeah. all the all the lecture of all the group discussions we are there together and also when we are really busy we make time to yeah. <laughs> to be there and
1: yeah. yeah it also is a lot of fun right yeah. so it's just simply a lot more fun to teach together than it is to teach it by doesn't itself. really feel like teaching no that's true. <laughs> just chatting <laughs> it also i mean it's I mean that's you asked of course about the student perspective, but from a teacher perspective, it also means that in a particularly busy week I can rely on always my doing a little bit more work and the other way around. Mm-hmm. So it's really I think in this course we really we're really good at um having our strengths um iron out the other person's weaknesses a little mm-hmm. bit, right? So yeah. so we're really, really well complementing each other in in this course. And that makes teaching a lot more fun. And that obviously uh, is conveyed to the students.
0: I just wanted to ask, so you mentioned how this format, uh, do, you, do you believe that the video format, so presenting the theories as videos prior to these uh, meetings, was that something that arose out of the fact that you had to move towards digital format because of the pandemic? Or was that something that you had an idea for before the pandemic?
1: No, no, that was something no. that we did because of the pandemic.
0: Okay. The reason why I ask is because of course, recently the faculty has made a decision to try and move back towards as much, uh, in-person lectures as possible. So, uh, I'm not sure if you guys are planning on doing the course also next year for teaching the same course. Is it probably going to, is the current uh, setup, uh, still going to be the same or will it change?
2: So uh, we will uh, make new videos because some information is already a bit outdated. But uh, we will still use videos that that students have to watch before they come to uh, to the lecture hall, and then we will have a face to face discussion. Yeah. So we've also
1: find it important to to meet and to see uh, our students. But yeah. but this is the flip classroom um, concept, right? So that's not we are not uh, recording the lectures that we, st- that we you know, that we give at the location with only a handful of students. So it's a totally different concept than I think what the faculty wants to, wants to eliminate again. So, I mean, what they don't want is that 10 out of 150 students come to the lecture and because it's streamed and recorded and nobody bothers to get up, this is, this is obviously not what we're doing. So I think our concept is different and it will also um, will, will be successful, I hope, um, without any thoughts of pandemic mm, and, yeah. but I also think we don't know what's happening next winter, right? So I think by already planning to do it this way, at least we won't have to adjust yeah. massively <laughs> again.
0: Sure. Uh, yeah. The digital education was a big theme in the podcast um, that we recorded with Mark Neuenstein and Michelle de Jong, uh, the other two nominees from faculty is there any other things that you've realized as part of this process of kind of being onto digital education okay now we're coming back off these live streams any other sort of lessons that you guys have pulled from this experience as teachers
2: Ooh, difficult question (laughs) (laughs) i discovered that um you really have to structure your course and i think and when we had this digital education it was even more important to have a clear structure in your course and to let students know how they could reach out to you to you and i think that's uh, that's really
1: is important yeah i guess what i found What I think we did not pay enough attention to is um, what it means for teachers to teach that way. So we talked a lot about what it means for students and how we could make this an enjoyable and interactive and pleasant and educational experience for students. But how demoralizing it can be for a teacher to teach a course in the evening, nobody puts on their camera, nobody even has some sort of avatar or picture or photo of themselves. So you're talking in silence for 90 minutes to 20 gray icons. That was, that was something where, where I wondered how much I like my job, actually. Yes. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. So I think um, what we learn, what I learned from this is that I will not do this again. So if the students don't engage, I will not engage
0: (laughs) and do you think that digital education that students were less engaged as a result? yes
1: absolutely they were absolutely less engaged yes
2: which is logical of course for the same reason that that we felt uh, sometimes like okay what am i doing here yeah
0: yeah i only ask because i also had this feeling not only in the courses my own personal engagement going through the courses of the last year and a half but Uh, Also, I got that sense from my fellow students. Uh, However, when we interviewed, uh, when we were talking with Mark about uh, student engagement, he was quick to point out actually for him that he had never had students more engaged with the material before, that he, he found that the process of having this recordings or being online actually gave students the, yeah, maybe the personal... Yeah, the strength of mind to ask questions that they were not fearful of, maybe asking a stupid question or something like this. And he said he had never received so many questions before and actually helped him to really improve the course through this engagement. So it was quite interesting and a bit paradoxical. As you mentioned, it's quite logical to assume uh, that student engagement goes down. But
1: uh, yeah. Well, we didn't talk about the course. I did not mean the course um, that we taught, right? So I meant in Nothing, general. Yeah, Sorry.
0: Yeah. Uh, okay. So as far as students getting engaged in their studies, or w- what do you mean generally?
1: I mean, we teach a lot of courses, of course, yes. and a lot of those were online. Yes. And this one worked out well, but this was the third or fourth or maybe fifth that I taught online. And by then I had figured out how I can get the students to work in a way or engage in a way that makes teaching pleasurable for myself and as myself. well. I mean, I also had a 300
2: person course and there, yeah, you really felt like a robot talking yeah. to uh, to a screen yeah. and <laughs> that's it because there was no interaction possible. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yes. And I mean, sometimes there were also courses where, that's I taught an evening course for, I think, 27 students. About 10 were amazing, right? But the rest, I don't think they were. I think they logged in and then they left.
0: Mm. Um, picking up there and... Maybe switching topics here briefly, uh, I wanted to, we were, we were planning, of course, on doing this podcast with uh, also another guest, Housen, um, but he was unfortunately unable to join today from the sociology department. Um, but one of the things that Tassos and I were curious about was what kind of constraints exist in sp- specific programs or perhaps in this course that... Um, are different than the constraints that are maybe, that exist in sociology or psychology. So is there perhaps a way that, do you do you believe that the courses in pedagogical sciences are quite similar in the way that they are being taught or can be taught um, to say psychology courses? I mean, perhaps this is something that you can't answer as Um, you know, members of the pedagogical and educational sciences, but do you have any thoughts on this?
1: Well, I used to, so I did my PhD in psychology and I used to teach in psychology, I guess. Um, The psychological or teaching in psychology is a little bit more research oriented, whereas teaching in pedagogical sciences needs to be more practice oriented. So I think students in pedagogical sciences expect to be clear or like to have a clear element of what this means for their profession. And their profession for pedagogy students probably much um, less often means research than it might mean for a psychology student
2: and also sociology students i think they also quite often uh, end up in uh, doing research of course
1: yeah Mm -hmm. but i don't think this is a constraint i mean this is a a positive challenge right yeah yeah so this might be good to to tell uh, the audience that we also
2: really linked in our course we have we we of course talk about theory research but but we also try to make constantly the link to to the practice and we also find it important that students um, are able to translate research findings into uh, knowledge that can be used in the professional fields
0: and and perhaps we can also maybe dive a bit deeper into teaching for what it means for you guys personally uh one thing that we also wanted to ask is um if you guys have like a specific teaching philosophy um perhaps perhaps a bit of an abstract question but is there anything that comes to mind what do you
1: mean by teaching philosophy
0: maybe some foundational principles or something like this i'm not a teacher
2: (laughs) (laughs) maybe you have a teaching philosophy (laughs) How would you be. <laughs>
0: well, I think uh, I was actually uh, I was a statistics TA, and I think there was definitely some specific things and ideas that I came into that with. So, for example, I I was really inspired by someone that I mentioned this in the first podcast, but I was really inspired by a friend of mine who comes from Mexico, and that he mentioned that the lecture in Mexico and the lecture in Netherlands are vastly different because he was really surprised by the kind of lack of energy here in the Netherlands, because in Mexico it was a performance. It was this show and he, it was almost art he, he suggested. And he was really, he found it hard to come into a lecture here where it was just slides it was, oh, here's our structure. You can follow along at the very top, you know, very monotone uh, way of expressing it and so for me that was something that I, i really took something from and i really as far as philosophy i knew that i wanted to teach and instruct even in this very limited role with energy with positivity to try and bring that into the students and to simultaneously also um, develop a environment of safety for the students by which hopefully it could foster some engagement.
1: I suppose it's something that's coming with experience, right? So I guess my teaching ten years ago was much less entertaining simply because I, had only just started becoming an expert on the material, right? But now, I mean, if you ask me to do a lecture on, I don't know, behavioral genetics now, this evening, I can do it, right, without, without any problems. But um, I guess if, I mean, we, t- we all teach a lot, and not all of this is our immediate research focus our immediate area of expertise. So I guess uh, monotoneness, so that it's a little bit less lively, may also indicate that someone is not so much of an expert. Or I guess, you know, like this kind of providing an entertaining experience. The foundation for this has to be that you know the stuff inside out. Yeah. And I think, but I think that might also be why this course works so well, because we do know the stuff <laughs> yeah, inside out, true. right? Yeah. yeah.
0: Perhaps we could talk a bit about um, what teaching means to you. So you've obviously been nominated for this award uh, and I think it's very rare that, you know, I I definitely wasn't expecting with both podcasts to come in here and to, to experience a conversation in which the passion for teaching didn't come out. You know, I think obviously to get nominated for this award, there's some level of passion for teaching. So uh, again, maybe a deep question. Well, why, why would it mean so much for you to be good teachers for you to be good teachers for your students?
2: Yeah, I really, I really would like to convey my enthusiasm <laughs> for a uh, research and to, to let you see that doing research actually is fun and also, um, um, also helpful in their future life when they maybe are not going to do research themselves but have to to know about it uh, in their profession and what I myself really like about teaching is that every time uh, I'm teaching I'm also learning a lot from the from the
1: students yeah it's true no i've got i, I guess rosemary is much better much more you are much more of a teacher i suppose you also teach way more than i do um but i think we have the same the same uh, motivation so for me it's also um research driven thinking that i want to instill in the students so this kind of that they should enter practice um from, with an evidence-based, you know, with evidence-based thinking so that they, if they go into pedagogical practice, they should not imply or they should not implement interventions without checking um, how backed up they are by research. And they should be able to read research and understand methods and interpret them critically.
0: Perhaps we can talk a bit about, we, we also discussed this in the past podcast about interaction between teachers. So we were asking Mark about how the interaction was between him and other instructors, even within psychology, let alone, let's say from other departments. And he had mentioned that he felt it was a bit lacking. How do you guys see this? Is there some interaction within your department between teachers? Is there, um, are you guys seeking more interaction or is there some, something that you guys learn from other instructors that maybe you've adapted into your own courses?
2: Well, specifically for this course, there is a lot of interaction, also with our colleagues. So as uh, Tina told already, we had these guest lectures, and some of them are also given by uh, by uh, our colleagues. Um, well, yeah, I personally have quite a lot of interaction with uh, with my colleagues about teaching.
1: Absolutely. So I, I think there's a lot of interaction about yeah. teaching all the time. So pedagogy also has. We have uh, lunches where we talk about teaching practices amongst the entire, so among our staff. Within our unit, we have regular meetings where we talk about educational issues, the topics. So I that's know pretty we well. Tracks, we have regular Definitely, meetings, yeah. yeah. I would say I know pretty well who teaches what and what exists, or reasonably also what they're doing there. Yeah. I think there's also quite a an effort from the department to avoid overlap so we don't you have the, the semester overleg so these kind yeah, of regular yeah, meetings yeah, yeah.
2: yeah so we have uh at the end of every semester we have uh, meetings with all the teachers who are teaching in that semester
1: and um uh, yeah we discuss uh topic con- content, content and forms right yeah. yeah and evaluations don't you
2: yeah students are also there yeah. so the year is uh yeah. is there
0: Um, Perhaps we can talk a bit about the actual award itself. So this best practice award. This is obviously an idea is to not only celebrate teachers, but maybe incentivize teachers as well. Um, So one kind of thing that we wanted to talk about is one way that we can best promote good teaching practice, of course. And uh, what is a way in which you would like to be rewarded for teaching?
1: (sighs) Well, to be honest, so I mean, I'm obviously proud and glad to have been nominated for this and to be put forward by the faculty. But keep in mind that it's students making this decision. So it, it's, um, it's, it, it really depends how many students are in your course, for instance, right? So I teach another course in the Honors College where I regularly get... So they have a different evaluation system. It's from 1 till 10. I regularly have an average of 9.8 and I never been put forward for anything there, right? Whereas I'm much more proud of my teaching that I do there. So I think there's also an element of arbitrariness in those nominations and in these awards. So I'm not so sure we have done the best job in our faculty, uh, in our department, okay, so, yeah. in the in the last year. I think there are many more colleagues who do amazing things and do who are who are caring for students and who convey, like who really have an incredible educational impact and what i would like to see and i maybe maybe even more so during the pandemic than that i think there's now is a lot more recognition for how difficult this actually is so for how many different tasks we as teachers actually do so it's not just telling the students about theories and research it's also there being there for when they go through difficult times and it's being flexible when they need flexibility but at the same time is also trying to be fair so not letting one student basically taking a uh, how do i say this in a, in a nice way like not taking advantage of the flexibility that you might offer so i think the tasks of being a teacher are much much uh, broader Than just teaching. teaching. And I think it would be nice if there was more recognition for that. And if there was a little less uh, importance placed on the student evaluation. So I think it's actually quite um, disastrous that sometimes we sit in educational committees and we discuss... A colleague and we discuss their their course that they teach and we are really really worried about the score that they got and then it, it turns out that only three out of 20 students completed and that means that one student's opinions skews uh, the score i think we should abolish this so i think we should not even discuss student evaluations if not a sufficient number of, of students have completed them and even even when they have completed them It should not be the be all and end all of how we judge, how we judge uh, teachers, how we judge our colleagues. Um,
0: You mentioned, you mentioned there that you would like increased recognition of the difficulty of being a teacher, especially, of course, over the last two years. Um, What would such a recognition kind of look like? Would that be from the student body or would that be from the body of maybe rather these committees and such like that? Or how would, how would that look like?
1: First of all, I don't. I'm not sure. I would call it difficulty of teaching. I think I would call it uh, the 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 variety of challenges that teaching brings. Right, and challenges not just in a negative way. It's just a much broader role than uh, I think we cur- currently assume or currently uh, recognize. And um, I mean, obviously, if students if students are appreciative, always great. If the faculty sends chocolate always great but I think what's where I would like to see change is in uh, for instance um, the developmental interviews right so when uh, I don't think teaching has a space has a place at the moment in the HR and the annual in the annual um, reflections with staff uh, in the tenure track criteria it's purely about evaluation so it's not about your potential it's not about uh, ideas. It's not about visions. It's not. I mean, you asked us about our teaching philosophy. We both were silent, right? So it's not something that is developed or that we are encouraged to develop at the moment. And I think a bit more attention towards teaching being more than just knowledge transfer um, would be useful. Without sending teachers, without sending all our colleagues to yet more courses or yeah. <laughs> to fill in yet more forms. <laughs> yeah.
0: I think we'll we'll bring it to uh, a close pretty briefly. Um, is there anything else that you guys want to discuss before I ask the last question?
1: Maybe during the pandemic, I was sometimes quite disappointed with the students. So they asked a lot, they complained a lot across faculty. So I heard this also from colleagues. And so, I mean, there was a lot of complaints that things were boring and that the sound didn't work well or the internet or whatever. And then and then people don't even switch on their cameras I mean this is a two-way street and I think this this was very 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 obvious for me during during the pandemic especially during the first two lockdowns when we still hadn't gotten used to how this all works I suppose but I hope and I hear this now from colleagues from other faculties that they have come back to on-location teaching. I think it was even an article in the university magazine, and students just don't come. So I mean, for months and months they begged to open the university, and you have to understand. So just before christmas i had to teach i was teaching three different courses i absolutely desperately wanted to go to see my family in germany for christmas still i had to expose myself to hundreds of students in the last week and i did this because i wanted the students to have the on location experiences but or maybe it was not then just before christmas it was earlier to have the on location experience and if then nobody shows up it feels like a joke, right? so I think I hope that students are also aware that they also have um their share to do in their education okay. yeah
0: so then I wanted to ask as a very last question, one thing that we were talking about with Michelle and Mark. It was also the same last question that we asked them uh we wanted to ask you guys. Um, If there is any advice that you would have for younger teachers or perhaps younger self, something that you would tell your younger self uh, when you first began teaching, um, is there anything that comes to mind?
1: Wow. (laughs) Um. Oh, maybe not to stress, to not be trying, be perfectionist.
2: Yeah, you don't have to know it all by Uh, Exactly. Yeah. And be enthusiastic and open. That's what students like. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Confident. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think that's all the time that we have for today. Uh, thanks for joining, uh, Tina and Ryan. Thank you for coming in.
1: Thanks today. for inviting us. Of course.
0: Thank you. And, uh, congratulations once more to being nominated for this award. And yeah, that's the end of this episode, uh, of episode 4B, uh, for covering the best practice here at the Faculty of Behavioral so- and Social Sciences. We will come out with a- another episode very soon. So keep tuned and see you then.
2: This podcast was a production of the University of Harding